Hello and welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Amanda Borsal-Dan here, joined by our senior analyst Chaviv Rattagur and military correspondent Emmanuel Fabian. Hello to you both. Hi, good morning. Hi, Amanda. We will focus on the tragic terrorist attack yesterday that took the lives of brothers Halel and Yagel Yaniv, as well as the fallout from the attack last night. But first, a word from our sponsor. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. And we're back. Yesterday, 21-year-old Halel and 19-year-old Yagel Yaniv were shot dead in a terror attack in the northern West Bank town of Horara. Residents of the nearby Har Baracha settlement, these boys were shot while in a traffic jam on the Route 60 highway that bisects the Arab city. Manny, what can you tell us about the murders and, of course, the victims? So I'll first touch on the victims. So the two brothers from uh, Har Baracha, uh, they were leaving their home at the time. They were traveling through uh, Hawara elsewhere. The elder brother, Halel, he was a recently released uh, IDF soldier. He was technically still in the army through this uh, program known as Hezder, where you study for the first year in yeshiva, then you do your army service, and then you do another year afterwards of studying. Uh, and his younger brother, Yagel, was supposed to draft soon also to the army. From what the army understands, the the Palestinian gunmen uh, took advantage of this traffic jam in in Hawara on the Route 60 highway, which uh, which Israeli residents of Harbrahan, other settlements kind of in the Nablus area, uh, require to travel through Hawara because there is no other way to reach these settlements. There's usually traffic uh, because it goes through a city through this Palestinian town. Uh, so the gunman uh, waited in the area, apparently, uh, for an Israeli car to arrive. He then walked up to the car, fired from a very close range. Uh, the army found 12, I believe, shell casings in the area, uh, from 9mm bullets. So uh, it, he likely used a pistol or a uh, kind of a makeshift submachine gun. Uh, and then the gunman fled by foot. Um, and they believe he arrived in a car, but then afterwards fled by foot because they found a car in the area. And there's a lot of searches going on in the area of Hawara and Nablus to uh, attempt to locate him. 
I think it should be emphasized that this town is right near the Ariel University. This highway goes through the city. There are shops on either side. It's a bustling area and there's always traffic there because the two-lane highway becomes a standstill essentially as they're next to this bustling city. So it's just baffling to me that there weren't more witnesses. Is the army looking at that at all? There are cameras all over the area there, uh, as, as far as I know. Um, there was a little bit of footage published by Palestinian media shortly after the attack, right when the Ganib's car begins to uh, kind of drift off the lane and crash uh, into another car coming across the street uh, on the other side. So you can't really see the attack itself in that footage, but I believe that the army, uh, it's safe to assume uh, that the army and security authorities have uh, footage of the attacker possibly waiting in the area. There are definitely cameras in the area, but it is very difficult to prevent an attack in such an area. Uh, troops aren't always stationed in the Palestinian town. It is technically area A uh, under the Oslo Accords, so there aren't always troops there. Uh, there is troops at the entrance of Hawara on either side, and it makes it very, very difficult to prevent an attack there. Like you mentioned, it's a very bustling area, always very busy, uh, and someone can just slip in and out of the crowd there uh, and carry out an attack. In retribution for the attack last night, a protest march held by dozens of Israeli settlers turned violent as they allegedly set fire to Palestinian property near the spot where the two brothers were shot dead. The Palestinian Health Ministry said that 37-year-old Sameh Akhtash was shot dead during the riots, but by whose bullet is still under investigation as far as I know. The rampage, of course, drew angry denunciations from the Palestinian Authority, the European Union, the United States, and many, many Israelis. Where was the IDF or the border police during all of this, Manny? So initially, um, settler groups published a, a poster saying that they would hold a uh, a protest and they called for revenge and it was very clear what was going to happen in the coming hours. But I believe there is some sort of failure uh, on part of the security forces there because the army did not prevent them from entering Hawara to conduct this this march initially, but then which turned into setting fire to homes and cars. And well, I, I mean, to be fair, the army was also very preoccupied with searching for the attacker as well. And police forces in the West Bank are, are stretched very thin. There are not that many officers in the West Bank to secure this. But initially, border police officers reportedly uh, were there to uh, prevent the march without much success according to according to the demonstrators themselves the border police officers launched tear gas at them but regardless um several homes i think 15 or so homes were set on fire dozens of cars were set on fire and this lasted several hours uh, until i'm not really entirely sure actually how it dispersed because there were very few security forces there to actually prevent this regarding the palestinian who was killed he was killed just outside of Hawara and another town just south of it. And the army is saying that soldiers were not involved in the shooting. Border police uh, officials have yet to comment. Um, I have not received any confirmation yet whether or not uh, maybe a border police officer was involved in that shooting uh, or if settlers were involved in, in the killing of uh, Akhtash. Um, other, uh, other Palestinian medics said around 400 people uh, were wounded, around six of them or seven of them seriously. 
stones being thrown, uh, smoke inhalation, tear gas inhalation. Uh, a couple people were beaten with rods, and I think one person was stabbed. Um, so definitely a very, very violent evening, and few security forces seen uh, preventing it, uh, mostly because they were very preoccupied with searching for the attacker, and also because there are very few forces there. Um, but there were early warnings that this march was going to be uh, taking place. Now, Mandy, you said that the manhunt is ongoing. What is happening now? I understand that more units have been deployed than usual. Right. So three infantry battalions have been deployed to the West Bank Division to assist with uh, locating the, the gunmen. But uh, for now, there's a bit of a complication here. Uh, for the last few days, uh, Israeli forces haven't been conducting raids in Palestinian cities. Uh, there was the summit in Aqaba between, uh, hosted by Jordan with uh, Israeli and Palestinian officials where they are attempting to reach some sort of calm. And ahead of this and for the last few days, the Israeli army have not been conducting raids inside Palestinian cities. So last night as well, the manhunt has been focusing on kind of around Nablus, not in Nablus itself, because there's some sort of... Uh, arrangement not to conduct raids deep in Palestinian cities for now. There are several roads which are have kind of limited traffic on them. Um, the army is conducting a lot more questioning of people entering and exiting Nablus and the surrounding area. And I believe the stores uh, in Hoara, all these storefronts on the highway there, have been closed by the army for now. Uh, it's possibly to protect the the Palestinians from being attacked again by settlers, or to you know have the army be able to work in a cleaner environment where there's nobody there, so that they can conduct their operation and search. But right now, it's mostly heavy kind of security around Nablus, and rather than deep investigations within Palestinian cities. Okay, obviously this is a developing story. Please check the website for more updates. We'll go to a short break now. You're listening to this podcast, so I know you care about the war in Israel right now. And you've been reading the headlines. Massacre in Gaza. Genocide perpetrated by Hamas. No, by Israel. But if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, you know one thing. This stuff seems complicated. And honestly, no one can really just pick a side or decide an opinion without really learning, without really knowing what you're talking about. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History, now in its sixth season. They have episodes with topics ranging from what is Hamas anyway, to whether Israel should ransom captured soldiers, and the history of Israel and its disengagement from Gaza in 2005. Unpacking Israeli history cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So, educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we're back. Khaviv, let's turn to you. Uh, the chaos in the streets is reflected in the chaos in the government, or or is it vice versa? Share some thoughts. Yeah, Amanda. Um, one of the um, really interesting and tragic things about the whole Khawara um, rampage, maybe even pogrom, 
um, was how utterly obvious it was and how long before it happened everyone knew it was going to happen. I went looking for the earliest signs that it was going to happen, and I found at 4.08 p.m., um, a tweet by a journalist from the Yediot Achronot Daily, Yossi Yoshua. He's their military analyst, and he tweeted a picture of this poster that Manny referenced, in which these uh, this group of uh, settlers from Har Bracha announced that at 6 p.m., two hours later, there was going to be a march. The poster included the words in big letters at the top, we demand victory, we demand revenge, we demand to fight back. And Yossi Yoshua actually commented in the tweet, this is going to be a very complex security challenge for the IDF. Two hours later, the protest march is on en route to Hawala. Um, as night falls, people start, uh, as Manny described, setting the place on fire. Um, and when the dust settles, over the overnight, really, um, ten, at 10.25 p.m. Uh, is the first time that Bezalel Smotrich, the head of the Religious Zionism Party, the Treasury Minister, the Finance Minister of Israel, but also the minister in the Defense Ministry in charge of civilian affairs in the West Bank, which is to say the minister formerly in charge of settlements, only at 10.25 p.m. offers a single tweet, and in that tweet he says, don't worry, we will have a real response to the terror. Please don't take the law into your own hands. He does not condemn what has already happened. A Palestinian village has already been set on fire. And he his account likes a tweet by Samaria Regional Council Deputy Mayor Davidi Benzion that called to erase the village of Hawara today. That tweet has since been erased. Ben, uh, Smotrich has not commented on it. Uh, we also have in this country a Minister of National Security. It's a new job. It's a rechristening of the Minister of Public Security, the Minister of Police. His name is Itamar Ben-Gvir, of course, and he has a long history as one of those, a member of those radical groups advocating essentially vigilante justice in the West Bank. Uh, Itamar Ben-Gvir has had no statement and no press release and no comment whatsoever. He is the minister in charge of law enforcement up by police, including in the West Bank. his uh, One of the members of Knesset from his party, Tzvika Fogel, went on a radio today to say that he uh, believed that the Hawara attack uh, had achieved a deterrent effect unseen since Defensive Shield. Quote, I see the result very positively. Defensive Shields, of course, the IDF operation in the West Bank in 2002 in response to the Palestinian suicide bombings. Ben-Gvir and Smotrich are gone. They're just missing. Last night at midnight, Prime Minister Netanyahu apparently seemed to notice what, you know, what was happening six hours in, uh, and his office put out a statement to reporters, to us, all of us received it, in which he said that he was convening a security briefing about the terror attack and about, quote, the riots throughout Judea and Samaria. And he listed the participants in the meeting, the defense minister, the IDF chief of staff, the head of the Mossad, the national security advisor, the prime minister's military secretary, uh, excuse me, the head of the Shin Bet, the head of IDF intelligence, the head of IDF operations, and the coordinator of government activities in the territories. And Smotrich, the minister in charge of civilian affairs in the West Bank, and Ben-Gvir, the minister of police, were missing from the list. They were not part of the briefing. This, this government is a government essentially being ruled by this absolute chaos. Chaos is the rule in this government. I have to, you know, the, a psychological light year away from the violence in the West Bank that we've seen overnight. Um, last week, Thursday, 
there was a massively important day in the history of any Israeli government. It's a night that's called Government Night. It's when the ministers gather at the cabinet room in the prime minister's office and actually sit down with the planners and the economists of the finance ministry and negotiate the state budget for the next two years. This is where empty campaign rhetoric actually meets fiscal responsibility and actually has to be translated into shekel numbers. And what comes out of government night every two years, where the ministers literally are locked into that cabinet room for 24 hours, beginning Thursday morning and lasting until Friday morning, what comes out of that is the actual government budget. They went in to government night last week, Thursday on Thursday morning. And by Friday morning, it was revealed, we all discovered that they had failed to negotiate a budget. And so Netanyahu gave the order because, you know, um, foreign investors are looking at this country increasingly descend into this chaos and are growing increasingly worried and investment money is starting to leave in numbers that we're starting to feel in the economy and with the weakening of the shekel. Netanyahu is so worried about the fact that his, literally the ministers just could not negotiate a budget that he gave the order to pass a pretend budget. There was a vote in the cabinet on a budget that he told ministers, don't worry about what's in it. We'll throw anything you want in it. We're going to do the actual work of building an actual state budget over the next month in the Knesset. But smile for the camera. And they took a picture of all the ministers voting and smiling and passed a fake budget. One of the business journals of Israel joked that ministers then went and announced that they had gotten everything they wanted from the budget, a billion shekels for the economy ministry, a billion shekels for the tourism ministry, 50 billion shekels over a few years for transportation, plus a new train for it to a lot was promised to transportation minister Miri Regev. Minister after minister after minister announced 9 billion shekels for Ben Gvir and the police, uh, 10 billion for the defense. People were just announcing billions upon dozens of billions of new shekels. And one of the business journals on Saturday joked that uh, the government accidentally passed the American federal budget. Uh, it had made a mistake. We're seeing on the ground in, in deadly violence and in what is really no less important and fr frankly has just as much consequences for Israel's sick and Israel's poor and, and, and the health of the economy going forward and whether people have millions of families have jobs uh, uh, that, can, that can feed themselves, you know, over the next few years. We're seeing the same kind of chaos. Nobody is running the place and it's starting to be felt on the ground and it's going to get worse because we don't see even a response to these crises that shows that the government understands that it's losing its grip. So I, I come out of the last week, and especially from last night, very, very worried. And I think most Israelis are too. Chaviv Manny, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. Until next time. Shalom. Shalom.